All right. Hi, everyone. Uh, we're coming to an end of our Ephesians series. We still have a few more, actually two more after this one, but I hope you're enjoying it. Today we're going to look at Ephesians chapter 6, verse 18, as was just read by Hasmik. Uh, thank you, Hasmik. And I just want to say that if you've been reading the daily writings as part of the 100 Days of Pursuit, uh, you, you'll know that I've already gone pretty deep into this particular verse. I uh, just kind of broke it up into seven different pieces and, and went deep into each of those pieces through the week. So if you're interested in getting more out of this verse than what I give you right now in the next uh, 30 minutes or whatever... You can go to the website and you can you can dig into the last uh, I think it's the last seven days of content. Um, it's all there. Actually, all the hundred day content is there for you to access anytime you want. But today I'm going to narrow in on just four commands that I see in this uh, particular verse. I'll tell tell you what they are up front, pray at all times, uh, pray in the spirit, keep alert, and make supplication. And I'll make some comments on on each of these. Uh, These commands, remember, are in the context of the spiritual warfare described in the previous verses. It's part of how we wrestle against spiritual forces of evil in heavenly realms. These commands are not optional, but are essential in order for us to stay strong spiritually. My hope today is that you, know, you, you would just be stirred to go deeper in this glorious duty called prayer. I'm convinced that there is nothing this side of eternity that has a more powerful influence on the health of the church than prayer. So we read today's verse in the ESV, but... Here are a couple other versions that I think are, are just interesting. This one's the NIV. It says, pray in the spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. And then the message Bible, which is more of a paraphrase, says this, in the same way, prayer is essential in this ongoing warfare. Pray hard and long. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Keep your eyes open. Keep each other's spirits up so that no one falls behind or drops out. I love that. And it's a good practice, by the way, when you're reading scripture to, uh, it's always better to go deep rather than wide. I mean, I think there's a time to just read a whole book of the Bible. I do that sometimes, but Uh, When you take a verse or take a small portion, read it in several different versions, it starts to come alive that way, and and, and it just, you start to get a sense for really what what it means. We're going to look first at this exhortation to pray at all times. I believe what Paul meant by this was not that we should try to pray every moment of every day. I mean, I don't really think that that's possible without neglecting a whole lot of other things that we really need to do that God is telling us to do. Um, I think we can pray many times throughout the day, and this is a good 
practice, but nobody prays every second of every day. I was thinking, I don't even pray every second of the time when I'm in a prayer time, right? I mean, maybe, maybe you do, but I, you know, I, I stop, I pause, I think, I uh, get distracted, I, I write something down, then I come back to my prayer time. So even in my prayer time, I'm not praying at all times. So I don't think that's really what Paul meant anyways, is that we should pray every second of every day. But what I believe he meant is that we should pray in every kind of situation. If it's a good day, pray. If it's a bad day, pray. If it's a mundane day, pray. Pray when you get a raise at work and pray when you don't. Pray when you get a flat tire. Pray when you get a new car. Pray when you feel healthy and pray when you get sick. Pray when people praise you and pray when people mistreat you. Paul said a similar thing in 1 Thessalonians 5. Rejoice, always pray without ceasing, give thanks in all circumstances, for this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. I think Paul could have also had in mind that we should pray at all times and not give up until we obtain the thing we are asking for or until God clearly says to us, no, that's not my will. And he sometimes does that. But Paul may have been echoing Jesus's uh, teachings in Luke 18. I won't give the whole parable, but the beginning of Luke 18 says, and he, Jesus, told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Or some of your Bibles might say, and not to faint, which just means stop. So we're to pray until we obtain the answer. There's so many kinds of things that we might be praying for or what the Bible calls a supplication. It's actually used two times, that word supplication in this verse, which just simply means to earnestly uh, make a request to God. But here's some of the things that we might pray for. We might pray for a job uh, because we lost our job. We might pray for the healing of a relationship, maybe between us and someone or between two people. We might pray for victory over fear. We might pray for wisdom about a situation, direction for the future to overcome a particular sin, boldness to share the gospel, favor with a particular person, creativity and imagination in a project that we're working on, the renewal of love for Jesus, the gift of tongues, that scripture would open up to us. I pray for that every single week. A fresh touch from the Lord, a baptism of tears, and any number of other things we might ask the Lord for that would be according to his will. And these are all his will. But Paul is saying, don't just ask once and never ask again. Ask and keep asking until you obtain the answer. And this, again, goes right in line with the teachings of Jesus, that we should be persistent in prayer until we obtain the thing that we want or need or we know that, the again, sometimes we're praying for things that we just want but God doesn't want and there can be that dissonance there and so we can pray forever 
for eternity, and we're never going to get that thing if it's not according to God's will. So we should always be praying, God, I'm, I'm, I'm feeling this. I'm, I'm asking you for this, but Lord, is this your will? And if it's not, just you know, let the desire for this thing go away. And so that, it should always be tempered with that. But a lot of things are so clearly God's will. And we know even because he puts them on our heart. Um, so we should pray those things through. Sometimes I think we just, you know, we pray once, twice, a few times for a couple weeks, and then we're just, we're done with it. And we just, well, I don't know, maybe it's not going to happen. We just, we just drop it. Um, we shouldn't do that. Well, this persistence reminds me of my oldest daughter, Taylor, when she was little. I've probably shared this before, but once she got something in her mind that she wanted, she would not let me go until I blessed her. If you know Taylor, you know she especially loves tiny things, even now. But as a kid, even more so, she pretty much collected whatever tiny things she could find, and she would put them in little tiny bags and little tiny boxes and little containers that would go inside little pockets in other bags and just thousands of thousands of things. Well, there used to be this store on Thayer Street that had thousands of tiny things called Shades Plus. Terrible store. Terrible. So glad it closed down. Sorry for the business owner. Hopefully they're doing something great and more successful now, but <laughs> nothing against them, but just terrible store. But Taylor would ask me, Dad, Dad, can we go to Shades Plus? And then the next day, later in the day, maybe, Dad, when can we go to Shades Plus? Dad, are we going to be anywhere near Shades Plus? And the next day when driving, are we going to uh, pass by Shades Plus? And she just would continue, and her intensity and frequency would increase over time. As she started to break me down, I think that would give her even more boldness and importunity until she would uh, obtain the thing that she, and she just wore me down. And of course, I would finally bring her just because she was driving me crazy. But this kind of earnest praying until we get an answer may seem at first glance like we are being an annoyance to the Lord. We think, well, you know, I made my request known. Uh, I shouldn't keep bothering God about it. He'll do it if he wants to do it. You know, that, I, I get that thinking. That's reasonable. But the Lord actually intends for us to pray things through to completion. It builds our faith. So if you're believing God for something, don't give up. Pray and keep praying until you get the answer. Don't faint. And pray for specific things, by the way. If you pray too uh, general, you'll never really know if God answers the prayer or not. Uh, you know, if it's like, God, just pour out your glory on the earth. You know, uh, I pray for peace in other nations. You know, those are fine prayers to pray, but... Pray for specific things uh, in your life, in the lives of people around you so that you can actually watch God answer the prayers. When you see God answer prayer, it just builds your faith and makes you realize that God is real. It makes it more exciting to continue to pray for other things when you're like, wow, this actually works. Um, so pray specific prayers and pray them through to completion. Well, let's look at the second uh, command, exhortation in Ephesians six eighteen. Pray in the Spirit. Pray in the Spirit. And by the way, I did a whole uh, 
teaching on this this week, uh, earlier in the week, just about praying in tongues and, and what that means. So I encourage you to kind of dig into that, um, that great controversial topic. But there is debate amongst uh, theologians whether this term praying in the spirit refers to speaking in tongues or just praying with the Holy Spirit's enablement or both. I personally think it can be both. It seems like in this particular verse, Paul didn't really have speaking in tongues in mind because the way he words the verse implies that we would be making intelligent, you know, intelligible requests and that we should not cease until we obtain the answer, right? So I think there's a, a, just a time to pray, obviously, things that, that make sense so that we can know that the prayers are being answered. Uh, Jude, in Jude, I should say, Paul said to uh, Jude in, in his small letter, but you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith and praying in the Holy Spirit. And you see this phrase, praying in the Holy Spirit, a few times in the Bible. But I don't, I just want to kind of say to us, I don't think we should overcomplicate what it means to pray in the Spirit. Praying in the Spirit happens when we are in the Spirit, when we're filled with the Spirit. The Spirit helps us to form words according to the will of God and enables our prayers to flow in love. If Christians have the Holy Spirit, this is the question, I always ask these questions, then why does Paul tell them to pray in the Spirit? Well, it's because it's possible for Christians who have the Holy Spirit to not be in the Spirit, but to be in the flesh when they're praying. Paul goes into this in his letter to the Galatians where he says, but I say, walk in the spirit and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. He said that because we can gratify the desires of the flesh. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. That's Galatians 5. So it's possible to pray but not be in the spirit. I think we need to realize that. Paul strongly exhorts us not to do that. We've probably all heard prayers that were not in the Spirit. I know I have. Pride comes out. Uh, rebellion, even, I've heard in, in prayers. Bitterness coming through prayer. Selfish ambition coming through a prayer. Hatred, harshness, love of money, jealousy. I mean, there's this... All of it, I've seen all of it come into prayers. Prayers in the flesh. So there's nothing more ugly than a prayer in the flesh. God does not answer prayers prayed in the flesh and they often produce discord and confusion when prayed in a group setting. So Paul's reminding us to make our requests to God in the spirit. And I think this is, I mean, I taught on this right a few weeks ago when I what was at Ephesians 5.18, be filled with the spirit. And I did, I think, two or three messages on, on being filled with the spirit and how to be filled with the spirit and what that means and uh, just all that. But So you can go back and listen to those. But really, I just think in order to be filled with the spirit, a couple things are important. And I think one is repentance, 
that we're always kind of searching our heart. We're, we're aware of what the scriptures teach about what is right and wrong. And, and we're not just like charging into the presence of the Lord without acknowledging our sins, if we have sins, if, if we've done anything. It just, I mean, we should always be coming before him knowing that he is holy, that he is awesome and holy. We shouldn't just barge in and start bombarding him with all these requests and where our spirit's not even right. So I think there's always got to be, I mean, sometimes you just know your spirit is right, so you can kind of just go go for it. But, you know, if you're not, just take the time and kind of humble yourself before the Lord. God, search me. Uh, you know, Lord, maybe how I worked or how I, my attitude in this situation, or maybe I've been lazy or whatever, it may be just bring those things before the Lord and uh, humble yourself and repent. And then also, I think another part of being filled with the Spirit is just worship. Worship. You know, it's, I think sometimes we can, uh, well, you know, I think of Anna in the Bible, right? She uh, was very old, 106 years old, and she she prayed in the temple uh, all the time with fasting and prayer and worship. And I love that it just says worship. You know, that, that she, she spent like entire days uh, just as old lady, just seeking the Lord. But it wasn't just requesting. It wasn't just supplication. It wasn't bombarding God with the request. It was sort of this mingling together of uh, prayers, supplications, and worship. And I think worship really fills us with the Spirit. Not that making requests doesn't, but it's a little different. You know, there's something about worship that it's, we're, re- we're remembering who God is. We're just looking at him, gazing at him, just, uh, just, just, just sort of rem- reminding ourselves of how small we are compared to God. And it just does something. It, it melts us. It, it, just looking at its beauty, it's captivating, and it just kind of breaks us down, right, and floods us with the Holy Spirit. I mean, worship is amazing. So just make sure that you're, you know, when you're coming before the Lord to make requests to him, uh, make sure you're filled with the Spirit, especially in a prayer meeting. You know, sometimes we just, you know, show up at a prayer gathering or praying with people and we're not in the Spirit. Our hearts are not right with God. And then we're, we're leading out in different prayers. Like, we shouldn't do that. I don't want to make it seem so hard to be filled with the Spirit that we never pray or we're too afraid to pray. No, we can, we can all be filled with this. We're supposed to be filled with the Spirit. It's not that, oh, people, you know, only a couple people are filled with the Spirit. Like we should, as a, as a church, you know, a couple hundred of us, two, three hundred of us, we should all be filled to overflowing with the Holy Spirit, like all the time. Like that should just be normal Christian living is to walk in the Spirit. Paul wasn't saying, hey, what, if you really want to be a super saint, then walk in the Spirit. <laughs> he wasn't saying that. He was saying it to all Christians. Walk in the Spirit. Be filled with the Spirit. And out of that filling, you make your request known to the Lord. All right, that wasn't in my notes, a little extra there, but let's get to this uh, third exhortation that Paul gives us in Ephesians 6.18. It's to keep alert with all perseverance. It's actually preceded with the phrase, to that end, which essentially means the same as therefore or consequently or because of this. So he says, to that end, you know, because of this, keep alert with all perseverance. So what is he saying? Let's just break this down a little bit. What does he say? What does he mean by to that end? You know, what end? What is he talking about? Because of what? Well, he is, I think, clearly referring to 
everything he just talked about in the preceding eight verses about spiritual warfare that we've been talking about the last couple of weeks. So Paul, in those eight verses, lays out the sober reality of spiritual warfare. He makes us aware that there are just very real invisible forces in the invisible realms that are at war against us. They're seeking to drag us into sin and doubt and to pull us away from Jesus. That's always their number one goal. You know, it's not just that they want us to sin. Yeah, they want that too. I guess they probably take a sick pleasure out of that. But really their ultimate aim is to pull us away from Christ. These invisible foes with Satan at the helm have intelligent schemes to deceive us and to draw us away from the Lord. We don't know what they're going to do or when they're going to do it. So we must be awake and alert at all times. We cannot let ourselves close our eyes spiritually even for a single moment. All it takes is an unguarded moment to fall into sexual sin, to, I don't know, steal, to call somebody a name in anger that wounds them deeply, and it's something they remember for the rest of their life, maybe, to punch somebody in the face, moment of rage. This has happened to Christians. I've heard testimonies just a moment where they snap and go into a rage and end up hurting somebody. You can end up in jail. You could kill somebody in a single moment and a million other things. So we must be on guard every moment of every single day because we are at war. Just like soldiers in a battle cannot take a day off to relax, we cannot take a single day off from spiritual warfare. Now, don't confuse this with taking a day off from work. Absolutely, you should take a day off from work. You should, you should honor the Sabbath. You should relax at least one day a week. You should take vacations. You should you know, have slower seasons, all of that to rest your body and rest your mind. But when you're on vacation, you have to be alert. In fact, that, that's an opportune time, actually, for Satan to uh, tempt people because, you know, they're away or they're, you know, they're, they're, they're not in their normal routines of discipline. You know, they're kind of letting their guard down. They're just sort of in a kind of indulgent, oh, we're going to vacation. We're just going to eat a lot and sleep a lot. And, just, and we can just, whoa, you got to be careful because that is like, Satan's watching that. That's like a perfect opportunity to strike. Um, so even on vacation, we need to be on guard. And I don't know, maybe that's uh, bad news for you, but it's, it is what it is. I can't change it. Uh, we can't, I, I don't have any sway to be, can you just give them, you know, I'm gonna speak to Satan and, and have them uh, lay off of you for 10 days or something so you can go to wherever on vacation. 
it doesn't work like that. Like, this is what we, this is what we're in. It is what it is. Like, this is a war until we, until we get home, until we see Jesus. So be alert. Part of keeping alert is also developing discernment to be able to detect the schemes of these invisible foes. Sometimes they come in plain day with no disguise and try to invade our hearts just by sheer persuasive, seductive force. But often they are more subtle and patient. They will slowly and systematically seek to tangle us in sin or to get us to believe a lie. They especially love to undermine the trustworthiness of our God, the goodness of God. So we must have discernment. We must have keen spiritual sight to see what they are doing. We have to learn to almost smell trouble. I'll give you a silly example. Dogs uh, have an extraordinary sense of smell. You probably know that. I remember one time we were driving out to uh, Tiff's parents' house with our dog, Jack. Um, and Tiff's dad, also named Jack, used to uh, really spoil our dog by giving him just lots of attention and long walks and treats and all that. He just Jack loved Jack. You know, they, they just had this special bond. There's no question about it. So we were about two hours in the car, just driving with the windows closed. The dog couldn't see a thing. Um, he's in the back seat. He's just, you know, in his like semi-coma state back there, just chilling out. And, and somehow, uh, and we took, you know, the back ways and somehow we were driving kind of the same speed the whole time, pretty much. And we came, we were about like maybe a mile or two or something from, from uh, the house. And all of a sudden, the dog just springs up and starts going bananas in, in the back seat because he knew we were getting close to uh, Papa Jack's house. He could smell where we were. I love that, just that sensitivity to sniff it out. In the same way, we need to be keen in sniffing out the work of the enemy. We need to know the word of God really well so that when an idea or suggestion comes at us, even through people we love and admire, might want to write that down, we will recognize it quickly, even from a distance. The work of Satan does not appear to us as, you know, grotesque or, you know, he doesn't come with horns and scary. It's not like that at all. He's an angel of light. It's all disguised in things that we tend to have a peculiar affection for, like maybe creativity or imagination or cultural sophistication or intellectual achievement or beauty or power or wealth or success. You get the point. <laughs> you know, these ideas and temptations and seductions come through uh, the things that we specifically love. It's a scheme. So we have to keep alert. All right, well, in the last part of Ephesians 6.18, Paul exhorts us to make supplication for all the saints. I love this uh, part of it. Make supplication. Keep on praying always for all the saints with all kinds of prayers and requests. 
Again, supplication is to just earnestly request something. And in this case, Paul's referring to earnestly requesting something on behalf of someone else. A blanket word for this kind of ministry would be intercession. I think we all know what it means, right? You know, just it's, it's one of the most basic Christian practices just to pray for other people. Uh, we start doing it pretty much when we're new Christians. And even people who aren't religious at all kind of get the idea of praying for other people. It just seems like a nice thing to do. Our prayers are with you, you know, they'll say. Um, I don't know if they're actually praying, but I think we all kind of get this concept. So what we're talking about here is the practice of making a request known to the Lord on behalf of someone we know. And Paul's pressing us to pray for all the saints. Though in other verses, we're encouraged to pray for everyone, including our enemies, but we're in this verse exhorted to pray for all the saints. Just a side note on this, you know, saints, by saints, Paul just means Christians, if you are thrown off by that. I know the church, in church history, you know, we call certain people saints. I think the Catholic Church, I think it's kind of, I don't know much about it, but it's more of an official, formal thing. Like you, you can, I don't know if you can apply for saint, maybe you're nominated for sainthood and there's certain requirements that have to fall into place and before you get that great label, saint. Um, but in script, it's not really biblical. <laughs> uh, a saint is a Christian. Even a Christian who isn't a very good Christian is a saint, if they're a real Christian. We are saints not because of anything we did or do, but simply because of our relationship with Jesus. So Paul's essentially telling us to pray for each other. Why? Because it works. It's effective. I just want to get this through to us today. If we are in the spirit and we make a request to the Lord on behalf of a brother or sister in need, listen, God answers. Here's one promise of many in scriptures, 1 John 5. This is the confidence that we have toward him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we have asked of him. And that's a great promise right there. I mean, imagine if we had this kind of access to resources in our city, like in Providence or the town that you live in. Imagine if we could just call up the mayor's office and, and just tell him, hey, you know, can you fill this pothole you know, in front of our uh, building? And, and they just move on it. Or can you, you know, get the police to, to watch over this street a little bit better? And they're like, oh, okay, let's do it. Let's make it happen. Or imagine if you know, we needed new streetlights and we just called up or wrote a letter and, and, and man, they just moved into action and started to intervene in the situation and get the job done. Imagine if all we had to do was call or write the mayor and we would see results. I mean, th that would be amazing, right? I mean, think about how many things we would ask them. Oh, what else can we ask him? I mean, we asked him this and he did it. And then we'd be like talking, what are you asking for him these days? And yeah, oh my God, that's a good idea. Yeah, and we, we would just bombard the mayor's office with requests. You know, maybe the only stipulation is that as long as the things that we're requesting are things that are in line with the overall plan of the city, right? But if we make these requests, 
they'll do it. <laughs> I mean, if, if that was the case, we would be out of our minds making requests to the mayor like every single day. Well, I think you know where I'm going with this, right? If we'd do that with an imperfect mayor who has limited resources, come on, right? How much more should we bombard heaven with requests when God has promised to answer? And listen, he has unlimited resources. He only tells us that what we pray must be according to his will. Now, don't, you know, sometimes we're, oh yeah, that's right, the will thing. We, got, we don't know what the will of God is, so we just, you know, I mean, it's probably not good. We're going to pray, but it's not going to get done because we don't really know what God wants. We never really fully know what his will is, so don't know. The Bible is filled with, if you're praying for someone else, the Bible is filled with clear just very clear revelation of what the will of God is for another person. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at, you know, some, some brothers and sisters around the worship team, the camera people, the sound uh, and video people around the room. I, it's not a mystery to me what the will of God is for them, maybe in specific aspects, but I know what God wants for their life. I mean, here's just a few things that would be kind of basic Will of God. This would be, these would be safe things to pray for people. Uh, it's God's will to give them peace, to reconcile them to God or to reconcile them to one another. It's God's will to pour out his spirit upon people, to baptize people with power. That's a promise, Acts chapter one. To grant us with boldness to share the gospel to give wisdom. It's God's will always for us to have wisdom. What's the opposite of wisdom? Like foolishness, ignorance. Like he doesn't want us to be ignorant or foolish. He wants us to be wise, to provide for our needs. I mean, I'm looking at my, you know, I'm looking at my brother back there, Joe, uh, doing sound. I know that it's God's will to provide for Joe because I know God cares for Joe and God loves Joe and God has a plan for Joe. It's his will to care for him and, and take care of him, provide for him. Like I can pray that confidently. It's God's will to guide us and direct us. I mean, what would be the opposite? I don't know where I'm going. Yeah, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. I have no idea what to do or what, where I'm going. I'm totally confused all the time. You think that's God's will? No, it's always God's will for us to be led by the Holy Spirit. As many as are led by the Holy Spirit are sons of God, right? Romans 8. How about to cleanse from sin? I mean, we don't, we don't need to pray. Lord, if it's your will, deliver this person from this particular sin. Trust me, it's the will of God for his people to be pure and holy and cleansed and, and overcoming sin on every level in their life. It's, it's not like, Lord, if it's your timing, set this person free. If it's your timing, of course it's his timing. He always wants us to be pure and holy if we're children of the Lord. So these are things, and we could keep going. There are many other things in scripture that are clearly his will. But listen, it, this is exciting if you think about it. God answers these prayers. I'm just take that in. 
I mean, it sets the God of the universe in motion when we pray for people. So let's pray for one another. I mean, it's just exciting to think that we can pray anywhere at any time for anyone in the church and God hears us. Sometimes the prayers of others are so strong that we say we can feel when someone is praying for us, right? Prayer works. So just practically share your prayer requests with each other and pray for one another. It, it truly does make a difference. And my last thought is, is this, uh, just kind of a challenge. What would happen if we increased our prayers for one another? Now, listen, I know we pray for each other. I'm, if you're a Christian, you, I'm sure that you pray. If you're a mom, you pray for your kids. If you're a dad, you pray for your wife. You pray for your kids. You pray, you know, hopefully you pray for your pastor. You know, hopefully you pray for your friends in the church or different, you know, family members. Hopefully you're doing that. But, and I'm not saying that we don't do that. I think we're pretty strong in this. But what if we just like revved it up by three times? What if we prayed for one another 10 times more than we currently pray for each other? Or, I don't know, 100 times more. I mean, what kind of grace and power might be upon the church? What if you, what if you prayed for the pastor and the others who are preaching the gospel and the worship leaders maybe 20 times more than you presently do. Can I just be honest? We pray for ourselves, I think, probably too much. <laughs> None of us probably pray, pray as much as we should. But of our prayers, whether we pray 20 minutes a day or two hours a day or five hours a day or whatever our prayer time is, or maybe it's five minutes a day, I wonder what the percentage, I mean, I'm putting myself here too. I mean, what is the percentage of how much we pray for ourselves? We should pray for ourselves. It's good to pray. We definitely should pray for ourselves. But I wonder how much we really pray for other people. How much are we really interested in what God is doing in them? I mean, we're interested in what God is doing in us. That's exciting, you know, because we're selfish <laughs> or we just care about ourselves. And again, that's not necessarily selfish in the sinful way. We should care about ourselves. We're taught to love ourselves. But are we praying for others? Let's, let's excel at this. I mean, let's pray for each other at least as much as we're praying for ourselves. I think that would be a good balance. Uh, I mean, if Philippians 2 comes to mind, you know, look not to your own interest only, but also to the interest of others. It even says, uh, consider others as more important than yourselves. Whoa, that's Philippians 2, right? Consider other people more important. How does that fit in with prayer? I mean, Consider others as more important than yourself. I guess we should pray for others more than we should really pray for ourselves. Or again, at least as, as much for others as ourselves. I, I know I'm confessed. I don't do that. I, I'm challenging my own self. I feel like God is challenging me this week even through, through this uh, to, to pray for other people. And it's just, I'm so excited to do this. Like I've just been praying really specific things for other people and and realizing, wow, okay, I just prayed for them to experience the love of Jesus or for them to have a dream that would like really stir them to the depths or that, that they would just have this peace come over them because they've been maybe afraid of something and it would just, 
the fears would just bleed right out of them. And I'm like, these things are going to happen. These things are going to happen. We have confidence that when we pray, according to God's will, that these things will be done. So let's go there. Let's pray for one another. Uh, it doesn't matter if we're in a pandemic. It doesn't matter if we can't see each other as much. Oh, we can't have the prayer meeting at the church. Who cares? I mean, I, I care. I want to you know, come back to it. But I'm just saying, like, nothing can stop us from praying for one another. In fact, maybe life is simpler now. You know, we have more time or less travel, less going here and there. Many of us are working remotely. We're working from home. Man, this is an incredible opportunity to jack up our prayers for one another. So press in, saints, and pray for one another. Love you. Thanks for listening.